Hello, and welcome to Well-Tempered, the podcast about the smart, creative, and crafty women in the chocolate industry. I'm your host, Lauren Hynek. It means so much to me that I share the stories of others, build community, and hone my craft, making chocolate from the bean at Weekend Chocolate. On the show today, launching for Valentine's Day, you'll be hard-pressed to find a more romantic, entrepreneurial love story than when Jail met Dan. The Radigans of French Broad Chocolates, the Chocolate Lounge, and the soon-to-be factory space and creamery in Asheville, North Carolina, have been supporting Cacao Origin Partners and their local community for over 11 years. Love of cacao, love of chocolate, love of love. I hope that you'll love this episode as much as I do. If you did, think about giving it five stars on iTunes. I know that I keep pestering you about it, but it really means a lot, especially that I'm doing this show without any sponsorships. Thank you for listening. Like you asked the question at some point about what are the major milestones? And that's kind of how we see it is just one milestone, one leap of faith after another. So there's not really one particular phase that stands out as the most important. Okay, so Jill, why don't you, with that lovely intro of having these multiple milestones within French Broad, go into who you are within the business and where you've come from? Sure. It's been a a really long journey, it seems, and a lot has changed. We started out, my husband and I, as business partners and owners and janitors and product developers and head chefs. Just we were doing everything together. And, you know, fast forward 11 years and we're now the co-CEOs of an 80-person organization and driving our company towards the future and, and steering the ship. There's been a lot of change and evolution in who we are and what we do. On the note of where you've come from and this 11-year history now of French Broad, start us from more or less maybe the beginning. And some of that we can see from your chocolate bars and how it's so lovingly crafted in the way that you share your story within the pages of the chocolate books. For someone who hasn't maybe had the opportunity to try French Broad chocolate, what is the background story behind this now evolution of the company? Sure. Well, the defining moment of our path in chocolate for me began with a moment of inspiration in my home kitchen. I had begun making confections, bonbons for friends and family and for fun. That was right around the time when Scharfenberger was hitting the scene and was kind of the beginning of the bean-to-bar revolution. I discovered that chocolate and combined with Alice Medrich's cookbook, Bittersweet, began to really appreciate the flavors and the nuances of various chocolates. I was in my kitchen on a particular day and I was hand rolling some bonbons in what was called unsweetened chocolate, which we now call 100% cacao chocolate, a little bit more poetic. And I became aware of a tingling sensation in my hands. And I looked down at my palms and I had the very clear thought and I spoke it out loud and I said, chocolate is the thing that will make me happy. And that was kind of the genesis. And Dan was there. He was a new boyfriend at the time, love interest, but he was there and was the kind of person who really heard that and honored that and took it seriously, which I think was a really important response for that to really have meaning in our lives. 
I love that you just said that as well, because we're recording this in preparation for Valentine's Day, and we're trying hard not to be so cheesy, but we cannot help but mention the relationship and the love story that's involved behind the history of French bread chocolate, because you and Dan are definitely the catalyst behind this project. Also, I'm surmising here, but please feel free to tell us the true story, the true love story behind it. But it seems like so much of your passion for one another has been able to come forth into the chocolate, into the now brand. That is definitely true. Our love story is one and the same with the brand of our company, which, you know, could make some people uncomfortable. But we really just appreciate that our story is, I don't know, inspiring to people or that it resonates or makes an emotional connection with others. Absolutely. I think it does. I've heard the story of how you rigged up an RV and then you got some oil from Chinese restaurants and made your way down to Costa Rica. How did that actually happen? Well, you're not too far off there. The time Dan and I were both in grad school, he was in law school and I was in business school. And that January, just a few months after we met, we were on a trip to Costa Rica and we both decided that we were going to drop out of grad school and move there. So we do what any couple ready to move from Minnesota to Costa Rica does. We bought a 40-foot school bus off of Craigslist. And at the time, this was at Craigslist at its infancy. So you could read through every item for sale on the whole website. We bought the bus from this old Renaissance festival guy, and we transformed it into our RV. Like you said, we converted it to run on used vegetable oil, which we mostly sourced from Chinese restaurants on our journey through the States before we hit Mexico. And we had barrels full of oil on the roof all the way to Costa Rica, to the southern Caribbean coast. Was this out of character for both of you, or have you always had within you instilled this idea of counterculture or rebellion? I think that it was in character, but I think putting the two of us together was a a catalyst to actually achieving the wild dreams. We decided, you know, chocolate was our North Star and combined with Dan's baking experience, our mission was to make bread and chocolate. We did end up taking another trip to Costa Rica before we moved And we bought a piece of land and it, you know, serendipitously was an abandoned cacao farm. We headed down there with that as our plan. That's really inspiring and I'm sure that's fun memories to think upon. What happened after that? Feel free to go into any of the Costa Rican details there. Sure. Well, an important detail to add is that days before we left Minnesota, all packed up and everything sold, we found out that we were pregnant with our first child. (laughs) That'll change your risk aversion real quick. By the time we got down to Costa Rica, I was about four months pregnant and was kind of hitting my limit for adventure. So we modified our plan a little bit. We found this sweet little open air cafe off the main street in Puerto Viejo where we lived. We didn't have the money to buy it, but we asked the owner, Smokey, if he would rent it to us. And he said yes. So we had our first restaurant. And we named that after our dream of our new life in Costa Rica. So it was called Bread and Chocolate. Which today more or less holds true. Those are still two very important ingredients and elements of your life and lifestyle at French Broad Chocolate. Definitely true. I think bread less so professionally, but Dan is keeping a starter and baking our family fresh bread every couple of days. So it's definitely still a a ritual for us. Wow. I can't imagine you all have time to bake bread outside of your life, but good for you. Amazing. How long did the cafe space go on in Costa Rica and Puerto Viejo? So we were there 
for just under two years. We found great success in our restaurant. It really resonated with people. We were making things from scratch, everything from the barbecue sauce in our barbecue chicken sandwich to the peanut butter and the jelly in our PB&J. It was really good food, and neither of us had a culinary background. Neither of us went to culinary school, but we both loved good food and loved cooking. So it was um, just a really sweet place, a really sweet community space that we built. But after a couple years, we decided that we were ready to leave Paradise, and we sold the restaurant to one of our cooks. We hopped back on the bus, this time with our toddler, and headed for the mountains of Asheville. Why Asheville? What was the draw there? Had you been there before? Did you know about the culture of the city? And did you envision that that would be the place for your future company? Great question. We actually had no intention of moving to Asheville. But when we started to think about our next chapter, we felt a responsibility to choose well. We felt very fortunate and lucky that we were choosing where to live because a lot of people get stuck in a place, whether it be because of money or family or a job. We felt super fortunate and wanted to choose the right place. So we started talking to our customers at the restaurant and other expats and family and friends at home. Over and over in this tiny village in Costa Rica, people kept saying to us, you guys would love Asheville. And I had never heard of Asheville. I was from Minnesota originally and had never (laughs) even imagined living in the South. But we heard it enough that we listened So what we were looking for in a place was a city where small business is appreciated, a place that we could play outdoors, a great place to raise our kids, and a a great food scene. And we definitely found all of that in Asheville. That's amazing. Let's now go back to, to starting the business and how this idea, this catalyst that you had initially to know that chocolate was the thing, but it sounds like at that point in Costa Rica with bread and chocolate, you still weren't making chocolate yet. So how did the idea of actually creating chocolate from the bean and being a part of the supply chain in that manner come to be? Like you said, at Bread and Chocolate, we were not even focused only on chocolate. We were also making breakfast and lunch along with our desserts, and we were not making bean-to-bar chocolate. That said, we were in a cacao-growing region of the world, so we had the opportunity to visit cacao farms and meet cacao farmers and see how they process chocolate in a low-tech way on their farm, and we got to use that rustic local chocolate in some of our signature desserts. So we definitely had a lot of exposure to bean-to-bar chocolate there that I think was extremely influential in our story. But when we moved to Asheville, the decision was to focus on chocolate, but we were still considering our, our business um, as a chocolatier business and using what we fondly call other people's chocolate. Yes, the very scientific term. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought up that point about using local ingredients in Costa Rica. Thank you for that. So when we moved to Asheville, we founded French Bread Chocolates almost immediately. Like I said, we started as chocolatiers, handcrafting bonbons and selling them at local farmers markets. But within the first year, it was clear that that plan was not going to sustain our family financially. So we wrote a business plan for French Bread Chocolate Lounge through a local entrepreneur support organization. And we were able to create French Broad Chocolate Lounge as a sacred space for chocolate lovers. And we serve wine and beer and coffee and tea 
along with our handmade confections and desserts. We were really honing in in that local food philosophy from our days in Costa Rica, and that was becoming really an important part of our values, buying local berries and honey and herbs and you know other things from our local farmers. And then when we couldn't buy it locally, something like almonds that doesn't grow in Asheville, we'd buy it direct from a farmer in another region. After a couple of years, something was nagging us, and it was the chocolate part of French Broad Chocolates. Chocolate was in the name of our company. It was the heart of our business, but it was the ingredient, ironically, that we had the least connection to. We felt good about the chocolate that we were buying, but we had no connection to the source of it. So then we came to realize the next step in our journey would be to create a connection to the source of our cow and open a bean-to-bar chocolate factory and make all the chocolate that we use in our confections and desserts. I mean, it sounds incredible and great on paper. (laughs) You know, you're still here to this day, which is now testament to your ability to withstand, I'm sure, the pain points of any business. But did you have any idea, you and Dan, of what that would entail, actually making chocolate, of maybe the machinery needed or the labor that is involved in the process? I mean, we're still figuring it out every step of the way. We're redefining the way that we make chocolate as we speak. We definitely view ourselves as lifelong students and that we will never have uh, a shortage of things to learn in this journey. But certainly it's a lot more complex and complicated and costly than we could have imagined to have a business as complex as ours with the values that we operate by. That's very true. Yes, absolutely. I'm really glad that you made that point, Jill, because You know, I think that with the movement having a sort of boom at this point, many of us get into this business not knowing necessarily what to expect. You know, there's still not a playbook per se of how to run a business, but even more so, I don't think a lot of people take that time and I could be wrong. So please, people contact me if you've been doing this and I'm unaware of what you're doing. The idea of sitting down and and actually making a proper business plan, which of course might have its zigzags from what you initially thought. You, from the get-go, you and Dan really put your heart into not only creating something for the local economy and for yourselves to provide for your family, but also with the intention of having it be a long stay of that community. Yes, we definitely want this business to outlast us. And so the more people we get involved, the more important it becomes to have a strong foundation And that means a lot of business systems and controls that, you know, aren't the fun and sexy part of chocolate, but is just as important to that longevity. I want to take advantage of having you here on this call today because it's not so often that we get to speak with someone that has been able to be in the business for this long and to have gone through all of the ins and outs of the day-to-day of switching roles within the company, hiring people, and watching the business grow through various new accounts. There's so much that we can discuss here, and I'm trying to get a sense of what maybe are are the key elements for someone listening that could be able to apply to their own business. I certainly think part of that is actual growth. What did that look like for you all? What was the maybe defining moments or the decisions to move forward and have your chocolate found outside of Asheville? I'll say that long-term planning is really hard for both Dan and me, unfortunately. We've been working on honing the skill of forecasting what our business looks like several years ahead. We've been kind of on this path where, you know, we just kind of like leap off 
of one stone and find that the next stone appears just as we're about to come crashing down to Earth. You know, I wouldn't say that we have all the answers there, but we are listening. We're listening to our customers and our employees and following, paying attention to trends and what people are responding to and making strategic business decisions based on that. Do you want to talk a little bit further about that? Maybe some things you've heard from customers or some of the trends you've noticed that might be aligned with the current idea of what bean to bar chocolate is or is seen as and maybe, you know, through having the chocolate lounge, what you've been able to expand upon? Some key decisions that we've made um, by, you know, kind of listening and paying attention is telling the story of chocolate. That's become kind of a focal point of our business. As we're learning about uh, the people who are into bean to bar chocolate and people who are food enthusiasts in general, they care about the story behind their food. That's what sets them apart. It's not like one particular set of values. But it's a sense of connection that people are craving to the source of their food and its um, adventure and like traveling through food. And so we've really started to put that at the forefront of how we communicate and how we package our chocolate and, and making sure that we're sharing not just our story, but the, the story of our partners, whether that be a cacao farmer or a local malt house. This idea of storytelling through packaging, because that's also been an evolution for French Broad. I don't know so much about your packaging before 2016, but it is now beautiful and stands out and to me is reminiscent of a Tiffany box. And I'm sure other people have that sensation of something they want to cherish, something they want to hold on to, and even something that they might want to showcase by putting it within their chocolate wall. But how did that decision to tell that story via the packaging come to be? And what was really important for you to have that initial connection with the consumer? Our packaging started out pretty boring. It was actually kind of cliche. It was brown and it had cacao pods on it and it had a lot of words on the front, a lot of, you know, origin and percentage and names of farms or cooperatives. Um, it wasn't really, we weren't really finding it to properly convey all of the effort all along the supply chain that went into the chocolate and we weren't really finding that it was standing out on shelves. Actually, on a road trip, Dan and I were driving nine hours north to Pennsylvania, where his mom lives, and we were brainstorming about our new packaging and what was special about French bread chocolates and what was different about it. And, you know, like all of us, we each have our story to tell, and that's what makes us unique. There is no other you, and there is no other French bread chocolates. So we decided that we were going to tell the story of the chocolate through our packaging. We came up with the idea to present the chocolate bar in the format that looked like a storybook. So we've got, you know, this beautiful gold foil spine and the title of the chocolate. The name of the chocolate is kind of like the title of the book. And when you open it, like a book, it tells the story of our company. And there's also a leaflet in each bar that tells a story about the relationship of the partner that makes that particular bar special. There's one about the work of Uncommon Cacao and, and also the association that we're working with there. And there's another that features the story of our local coffee roaster. We're taking pretty literally the idea of storytelling through chocolate and giving people an experience so that it's unfolding as they open the chocolate and enjoy the flavors are also kind of having a little mini retreat. It is lovely and memorable. 
As a business decision, I'm sure that that was a difficult one because it would require spending a lot more money to have something that beautiful and that aesthetically pleasing. Can you speak to that? <laughs> the chocolate bar boxes are, they're so glorious. We love them. They're so beautiful, but they are eating our lunch. You know, as you grow into different channels in a food manufacturing business, that means some of your products are sold at retail price and some at wholesale price and some at a distributor price. And each person on the supply chain or company has a really important role to play and adds value to what gets into the end consumer's purchase. But starting out with packaging costs as high as we are, it's just, it's not sustainable. We are actually going through a bit of a rework. We're going to design one very special box that conveys everything we want to convey in the same format that we have now, but rather than printing 12 separate boxes, which is extremely expensive, we're going to have just the one very special box that we can buy in larger quantities and market with labels as to the, the different flavors and origins within. Top secret. You heard it here first. You did hear it here first. And I'm sure it will still be beautiful. And that's an interesting point to make that we will have sometimes these realizations between growing a business where we don't want to limit our creativity or our messaging, but we also need to think about what are the practicalities of that source or that that element. So I'm really glad that you're able to speak honestly and openly about that. Is there something else that you've learned along the way that you feel like is really juicy information for other people that are looking to scale up their business? Or I'm sure there's so many, but you're about to move into a much larger facility. You can speak specifically to the specs of the warehouse space, but it sounds like you're going to be positioning yourselves to be making a lot of chocolate. Yes, that is the plan. We have entered a situation in which we have hit our production capacity. So more people want to buy and sell our chocolate than we can possibly make with the equipment and the people that we have. So that's our plan. Our next big expansion is upon us. We are building a new chocolate factory, a new production facility with a lot more capacity. We're going to honor that storytelling mission by building it as a really beautiful and tourable facility where customers can safely loop through the production facility and see production happening before their eyes and learn about cacao at the source and learn about the chocolate making process as they walk through. Great. Any more news that you can provide about that? Or it, I'm not sure how proprietary is the information behind maybe the quantity of chocolate you'll be making a year or the square footage of the warehouse space, just to give an idea of like what this scale up actually means. Because I think so often we have these barometers of it's small, medium, large. But what does that mean when we're talking about craft chocolate? Yeah. So presently, our capacity is at 18 tons per year. And nearly all of that goes to feed our hungry chocolate monster, um, aka French Broad Chocolate Lounge, our dessert restaurant, and our confection and, and ice cream business. So the facility that we're moving to is in this awesome creative complex in Asheville. Um, we'll be sharing space with a lot of other artists and makers. It's so nice. It's about 12,000 square feet in a repurposed factory building. With the equipment that we're buying right away, we'll be able to make up to 70 tons of chocolate and we're leaving space for other equipment in the future that could increase our capacity by significantly more than that. Wow. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> and wow. If there was something comparable, or is this sort of being able to put yourselves into the position of where you looked back 11, 12 years ago and had someone that you wanted to emulate? You know, we definitely identify more with the current scaling players in this young industry. We look up to Taza and we identify with Dandelion and Dick Taylor and Raka and some of the other chocolate makers who are scaling up a bit more quickly than a lot of the industry. We're yeah. learning from <laughs> the people who were kind of growing alongside. It does seem few and far between. So certainly a pause to just say to both you and Dan and all of the team, hearty congratulations on getting here, having this vision and dream. And from a smaller maker's perspective, it's incredible to have now role models of where maybe we might want to take our business in the future. I wish you all the success in that. And I know we're going to continue to talk about it. But what else to you, Jail, stands out as milestones within the business or something that you've been really proud to stand alongside by at French Broad? Quite recently, our business became a certified B Corp. And I'm sure most people, maybe even you, haven't heard of a certified B Corp. So if it's useful, I could talk about that a bit. Let's do that because I think especially from the perspective of a chocolate making company, it has not been as plentiful of an idea. Well, certified B Corporation is a company that is committed to using business as a force for good. There's a nonprofit organization called B Labs that puts companies through an extremely rigorous um, survey of the entire business. That includes environmental sustainability and your financial transparency and how you relate with your community and your customers and your employees and your governance. It is just thorough. It took us almost a year to get through the survey. What it does, our certification, it demonstrates our commitment to being a, a principle-focused business and a mission-driven business. You know, it's very aligned with most of the people in Craft Chocolate who do want a greater connection and do want to work with greater purpose than just having a job or having a business that we want to be the change we seek in the world. And so Certified B Corporation is an amazing opportunity to both keep yourself accountable, like the scorecard, you can receive up to 200 points and 80 points is enough to certify. And we received 81, <laughs> which is pretty cool that we were able to certify without making major changes to our business practices, but also extremely humbling and shows that we have so many improvements we could make to be the best business we could be. It's an inspiration and it also provides concrete tools to help you get there. You know, it's not a, a test and you fail. Like B Labs, they want to support you in winning. And the community, the B Corp community is amazing. Even here in Asheville, we have about 10 businesses and they threw a happy hour party when we got certified at, at New Belgium Brewing, which is a, another certified B Corp. I wanted to ask if within getting this certification for the B Corp status, if that is also something that you were interested in having so that consumers could recognize the level of your company's processes and the dedication to sustainability, or if it was more in line with the idea of we have so many like convoluting stickers slash labels on a lot of other chocolates at the moment that people can't discern actually what is fair and what is good. 
Because if we look at the current landscape of where chocolate is sold, and I would imagine with this scale up, you'll be able to find yourselves within some of the higher end grocery stores nationally, perhaps even some international locations. A lot of consumers are battling this idea of what should I pick based on stickers? And B Corp has not been seen very often in the chocolate sphere. Is, is that something that you were hoping that consumers would resonate with that would provide an alternative to some of the other labels that have been proven, according to our industry, to not be so just and fair? Absolutely. And that's part of what I like most about B Corp certification is how holistic it is. You know, there's Rainforest Alliance, which might be certifying based on deforestation practices, and there might be Certified Organic, which talks about sustainable agriculture. You know, there are all these really specific certifications, but we like that this surveys holistically the entire business. So it's definitely more meaningful to us. I think that we, you know, for every 10 people we talk to about B Corp, one, maybe one has heard of B Corp and they still don't know what it is. So it's not the answer to our marketing prayers, but we certainly are really proud of the status and really committed to sharing their mission as our mission of using business as a force for good, which, you know, just that phrase alone, when I read that, I was just like, yes, that is what I'm doing here. Hopefully it'll it'll gain more awareness and it'll be more meaningful to people in the future. Thank you for going into that, Jill. It would be nice to spend some time talking about your partners at Origin because that is part of the holistic idea as well as that you have a very full circle element to French Broad. And now that you're going to be able to help so many more people because of how many pounds of chocolate you're going to be making, that's also something to acknowledge and celebrate. Right. We're really excited about the impact we'll be able to have purchasing more cacao at fair prices. I don't want to speak like an expert, but as a human, I'm definitely coming to learn that the way I look at it is not that I'm going to help people or I'm going to make their lives better, but just that I'm going to do what I can to offer a fair partnership and try and create a little bit more equity in the supply chain. You know, I don't want to fool myself into believing that we're saving people or anything that lofty, but we we do really want to make sure that we're doing our part to make partnerships based on mutual respect. Are there certain partnerships that you'd like to highlight or some that are very meaningful to you or even hark back to those days in Costa Rica? Yeah, definitely. Our partnership in Costa Rica is probably one of the most meaningful. Going back to our days in bread and chocolate, we hired a local Costa Rican man and he first was doing odd jobs and then he became our dishwasher and then we began training him in baking and he eventually became the head baker at Bread and Chocolate. And actually 13 years later, he still is the head baker there. And we've remained connected to that place, connected to the people there ever since. Our son was born there, so we have a a deep connection to Puerto Viejo. And this friend, Daniel, our relationship went even deeper when we decided to work together in cacao. I'm not sure if you know much about cacao industry in Costa Rica, but in the 70s, the industry was just decimated due to a Monilia blight that wiped out like over 80% of their country's production. And so a lot of cacao farmers lost their livelihoods and left farming. If you drive through Costa Rica, some areas, you'll just see like huge cacao trees that just haven't been managed or harvested for decades. When Daniel was a, a small kid... He and his family farmed cacao. Recently, 
he began that tradition again for his family. And he started with a piece of his family land and built a cacao processing facility with French broad chocolates as his first and largest customer. So Dan was able to go down there and help with the designing of the facility and help, you know, provide access to information for different designs of fermentary and drying beds. We were able to prepay for our first purchase from him, which gave him some capital to build out his facility. And now that's our source for Costa Rican cacao. That's awesome. So is it also exclusive to you? Definitely not. (laughs) It's definitely not an exclusive relationship. We would never want to tie him to us like that. We want to have a strong partnership of trust where he finds enough value in working with us or is incentivized to keep us as a major customer. But no, he definitely sells to other makers in Costa Rica and in Europe. And, And we've sold his cacao to other chocolate makers here in the States, like Letterpress is one that uses cacao from Daniel. Cool. I can't help but think the irony between leaving your business program to have gone on to establish two now very successful businesses in their respective countries, the things you must have learned that are probably more valuable than some MBA programs. You're now at the helm as co-founder and co-owner with, you said, 80 current employees. I'm sure your day-to-day has changed significantly from starting the business. Would you walk us through what kind of a typical, and maybe they're all atypical days, but what it's like to be where you are now? Yes. Well, funnily enough, Lauren, tonight I'll be attending a class called Supply Chain Management and Operations as a part of an MBA program that I am currently enrolled in. It's kind of one of those situations where the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And I decided that in order to give our business the best chance for success, we either had to fill in some of our skills gaps, or I guess that was the only choice. I've enrolled in local MBA program here in Asheville, and I'm actually finishing that up this spring. Wow. Okay. I eat my words. (laughs) Right. Business school, business, business school. But to answer your question about how our our jobs have evolved, you know, there's been a lot of change there. I once read an article in Fast Company magazine uh, about a bakery in Brooklyn. It was called Beyond Kui. I'm paraphrasing here, but the owner said something that was beautiful and sad and really struck me in the heart. And he said, I opened a bakery to do what I love to do, and now I pay people to do what I love to do. (laughs) And Dan and I started French Broad Chocolates because we were passionate about creating chocolates. But now, most of the time, I'm not creating chocolates anymore. I'm creating a company, and I'm creating jobs, and I'm part of this awesome community of chocolate makers around the world who are changing the way chocolate is being made and appreciated. And I'm part of this growing community of business owners here in Asheville and all over the world who are creating a new culture of business as a force for good. So I don't feel sad about the change in role. I feel really excited and challenged intellectually and creatively. I feel very fulfilled by the change in direction. And also I do still have a lot of desire for creative expression. So I do get involved in product development and creation of new recipes. But we've got this whole team of talent, talented chocolatiers and pastry team who also deserve the opportunity to be involved in the creative process. That's something that is important to share. 
Yeah. So many things come to me from that. One is maybe to highlight something on your menu that you just are very, very fond of. Let's start there. The French Broad Chocolate Lounge menu, or maybe the ice cream shop. But (laughs) you just have such an incredible range of things incorporating cacao and chocolate and curious what what you're drawn to. I'm a simple girl from Minnesota, Lauren, and as much as I have improved my palate and can appreciate 72% cacao from Vietnam, dark chocolate, my favorite dessert is a chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) I love cookies, too. I'm a cookie monster. Everybody loves cookies. I'm waiting for the Kraft Chocolate-specific cookie company to launch. And if someone out there is listening, do it. Well, Lauren... I'm listening. (laughs) And, you know, the other part of our expansion that I didn't talk about is actually ice cream production. So we have a creamery team who is working in this teensy little corner of our pastry kitchen. And when the chocolate production moves out of our current factory, we're going to be opening up an ice cream production facility there um, with a creamery cafe in the front of the space. And cookies and bars will factor into our menu. Let's see here. I just feel like you guys have so much going on and you're so humble about it as well. And I want to be able to provide you with that ability to showcase just how awesome it all is (laughs) while still maintaining your humility because I know that's important to you. But I'm trying to think about just to give perspective of how far you've come and really how many amazing things you've done and, you know, this future that now extends for you and and maybe if we could talk a bit about just what those future goals are you made a mention of you want this to go on after you like you have this now dream that french broad will live on so what might that look like and of course it's subject to change but what are your dreams now that you've gotten this far Mm, well as i mentioned looking into the future the crystal ball is pretty hard we just wrote our five-year goals and that was like, phew, the most future-looking that we've ever done. So we want to continue to stay rooted to our home here in Asheville and continue to dig deep roots here and offer our community you know, a meaningful connection to their food and their chocolate. But we also want to spread our wings and, and reach new chocolate lovers and new markets and you know we've got a little taste of that with distribution in japan which is just so cool we hope to expand into other craft chocolate loving communities across the globe and to make new products that bring us to new people great okay Mm, investors yay or nay should we go there or not sure if you want to talk quickly to what that might mean for a company taking on some of those same considerations absolutely This expansion that we're undergoing, like every expansion we have undertaken before it, is the biggest expansion we've ever had. So the capital required to build the facility that we want to build is significant and definitely far exceeds the capital that we have. So in addition to a pretty hearty bank loan, we also made the decision for the first time to sell equity in our company in order to fund the project. We were able to find a community of awesome investors who love French broad chocolates and buy into our business mission and values. We actually got some help with B Corp to insert some language into our offering doc. So there was absolute clarity about our prioritizing not just profit of the company, but also our impact on people and planet. We were able to find a, a group of people who wanted to help support 
our company and help it make it to the next level without that like really big payoff of a, a typical startup where they want like a 5x in five years or whatever. It's a more slow growing long term plan, but we've got this community of support and expertise to tap into. And we have a lot to learn as we scale. These folks are a great resource. So it's pretty new. We're in our honeymoon phase. Um, We just sent out our first quarterly report ever. But so far, it's been a pretty positive experience. Great. And it's funny to hear you use the term honeymoon phase, because going back again to this relationship that you and Dan have, it must feel like at some stages of the business, because you're working so closely together, and then you go home to live a life together, you're constantly reinventing what your marriage is, and what that is like to be side by side together day in and day out. Yeah, people talk about work-life balance and we don't have work-life balance as if they're two separate parts of our lives. It's just one life. Our work and our families are really intertwined. So we, we easily flow from one to the other in the course of a day. Of course, being entrepreneurs, we have freedom to do that, but it also comes with a higher accountability of doing what it takes. That means we can leave in the middle of the day to pick up our kids and it might mean discussing business strategy before we go to sleep in our bed, which is supposed to be a no-no, but we talk business pretty much until one of us says, shut up, I have to sleep. Yeah. What do you do to unwind? How do you relax when you're this full-on entrepreneur? It's a tough season to ask that just because of the expansion project that we're working on. I got this project management book and on the first page, it was defining what a project is. And it says, a project by nature is temporary. There is a beginning and an end. And I have been using that as my mantra. (laughs) A project is temporary. It has a beginning and an end. Because I know that the amount that we are managing right now is, it's it's a bit unsustainable for the long term. We both, Dan and I, make time for our personal practices. So for me, that's my Pilates classes. And for Dan, it's Tai Chi. And we both support each other in, you know, maintaining those commitments, especially when we're really busy, when we really need it. Even if you say there's a fluidity to it, it's good to have those check-ins and remember who might need some time off or some assistance and support along the way. If you did, Jail, have something to say to people that might be entering a position similar to yours or even considering it, is there a piece of advice that you would lend to them? One of the most impactful pieces of advice that I received was to define our company vision and values. And so early on, after a few years in business, Dan and I undertook some business soul-searching time and came to document our mission and our values so that we could clearly communicate them to our staff and our customers. And having that manifesto as our North Star, it keeps us really committed. And when we find ourselves in a situation where we're struggling to make a hard decision, we generally find the answers there. It's really guiding And it helps us identify as a mission-driven business. That's been one of the most impactful pieces of advice that I've received from mentors. It's so nice to hear from someone who seems so down-to-earth and yet is really making waves in the industry. So thank you for providing all of this knowledge on the episode. We close every Well-Tempered Women in Chocolate podcast with two questions. The first being, what does cacao mean to you? That's another big question. Gosh, and it feels so lofty, like I want to close my eyes and answer the question. Cacao, to me, represents the source. 
it's it's the source of the chocolate we make, of course, but also if I trace back my life to my discovery of cacao, it's the source of the story that I'm living. It represents making bold choices and listening and paying attention to life's clues and whispers, and it represents following my dreams and falling in love. We have a few answers on the podcast that are tear jerkers, and that might be one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I think I almost cried too. Thank you very much. And we might have gotten a little glimpse of this answer from you previously. If it is the chocolate chip cookie, so be it. But are there other things or what are the three things that you would like to take to the cosmos with you? (laughs) Three things to the cosmos. Chocolate chip cookies for everyone, for sure. Jade hazelnuts, caramelized hazelnuts in milk chocolate is like a go-to snack that I could definitely eat till the end of time. And then I would definitely take a nice, robust dark chocolate for, you know, cosmic downtime. It might be Mars at this point, but we'll see. (laughs) No, no, no. The planet. (laughs) Not the chocolate. We wouldn't have to take Mars chocolate. We have better chocolate these days. Thank you. Thank you. I'm inspired. I'm intrigued. And I'm wanting to support French Broad. Just to reiterate, there is the chocolate lounge for them to visit. What else? Right downtown, we have our sort of mothership French Broad chocolate lounge. And we have chocolate factory that has a retail shop. And of course, the build out of the new factory will be complete in the fall of this year, 2018. And then at that time, we'll have our creamery and cafe as well. Perfect. And if they are looking online, do you have a list of stockists there or what is the best place to find chocolate near them? Yes, we have a list of stockists on our website. Great. Well, Jail, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. And, you know, just like the beginning, all those niceties, but, you know, I really do mean it. And likewise, thank you for devoting your life to telling the story of people in chocolate and especially women in chocolate. It's really amazing. And I appreciate your work so much. Thank you. Means a lot. Thank you, Jail, for being well-tempered. And thank you for listening. For the show notes, go to weekendchocolate.com forward slash podcast, or just head to the website and click on the tab. Well-Tempered is produced and edited by me, Lauren Hynek, and our opening and closing song, Chocolate Store, is by Anna Garcia. Feeling the love from this episode? Want to immerse yourself with peers in a supportive and nurturing environment? Look no further than our second Mujeres Milagros Women in Chocolate Retreat. It's happening this June 10th through 14th in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we still have a few spots available. Feel free to reach out to myself, Sophia Ray of Projet Chocolat, or Tamara Lavala of Batchcraft. We're happy to assist you. Until then, stay well-tempered. One morning when I was a child, my mommy asked me with a smile, what you will be when you get older? The only thing I have clear is just to make this place a bit warmer. She looked at me and with her voice as she answered, If you want to make this place a sweeter world, oh.